Here we are. Here we are. It's a rainy day in Philadelphia. <clears throat> I'm with my really dear friend, Deg. Lots, lots to talk about. <laughs> Interesting past and a very recent adventure to India. We're in this beautiful home. We just got supercharged with a wonderful Kundalini practice. We're eating oatmeal, a little bit of coffee, sitting cross legged on the floor. Hmm. Where to begin? Good times, good times. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, man. I um. Well, one thing I did want to say, what well, my teacher recently taught me, it's important that we use our full name, Deg Avtar. Deg Avtar. Because there's a reason why it's the whole thing, and we were just speaking about frequency and vibrations. These words and our name, it activates a consciousness in us. And she was like, don't sell yourself short, man. You're Deg Avtar. She taught me a lot. She kicked my butt <laughs> in the best way. So, Deg Avtar, I am, uh, I'm good. I feel very blessed to be here. It's always a pleasure to share space with you and always enjoy conversation with you and your beautiful mind. The way that works always brings the best out of people. So, I'm really happy to see you taking this endeavor on. And uh, I wish you all the success and send you my blessing, my brother. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Dagavtar. Before we go any further, really, I'd like to actually ask you about that name. Because when we first met uh, about <laughs> a year ago, I put you in my phone as Kundalini Nick. <laughs> 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 but now you're a Deg Avtar, and yes. I wonder where that name comes from. Okay. Well, in this age that we're in, in this magical time, as crazy as it can be, it's, it's a beautiful shift in consciousness that's taking place. And um, there's, you know, we can go into our pockets and this spaceship, our phones, <laughs> we can access any knowledge information of the universe so there's the awareness of all these different paths and these sacred teachings and different lineages I happened to come across the teachings of Kundalini Yoga and started going to this early morning practice when I was living in San Diego in long story short it rocked my world spirit literally stopped me in my tracks almost yeah like had a near-death experience and it was like you got to do this so for two years now, I've been, I've drank the juice, so to say. Mm. <laughs> I've been all in learning about this, this beautiful, beautiful technology of what's called Kundalini Yoga. And like I said, it's really rocked my world and it shifted everything in my being and in my life and understanding of who I am and my purpose for being here. And as I've gone deeper and deeper into the practice, there's many different facets and um, 
yeah, let's just say many different facets and teachings, a lifestyle really that you can choose to live, that the teacher Yogi Ji Yogi Bhajan brought to us, and he gave his students the opportunity to choose a spiritual name, and the spiritual name is um, is a tantric philosophy, a white tantric philosophy using numerology and all these other things I don't really have the knowledge of honestly that um you give there's two women that he taught and that they do this this is their life's purpose and you fill out this information giving them information like your birth name the time you were born the location etc etc and they respond back to you giving you your spiritual name mm. and it said that this name is is the name of your highest consciousness your highest incarnation on this earth plane and you know i secretly had this name for about a year and only i knew it and would meditate on it from time to time and i had this really interesting experience with it and fast forwarding to last summer when i was at an event called summer solstice sadhana in new mexico well after the event i stayed to serve at a youth camp called Casa Youth Camp and I gave all the children the option to either call me Nicholas or Dagoftar and each one of those little sons of guns <laughs> called me Dagoftar mm -hmm. and I just had a profound experience and it awoke something in me that was so strong and, and like spirit guided me and guides all of us through the different layers and levels and experiences it said it's time to choose this name of course there was resistance to it. I love my given name, Nicholas. Thales Giordano is a beautiful name. But who I am as a teacher on this earth is Dagoftar. And it also has ties to the tradition of um, a religion called Sikhism. Though I am not a Sikh, and you don't have to be to receive this name, it does have ties to this lineage. Sikhism is from Punjab, India, northern India. And it's a very beautiful, beautiful tradition that I just have the utmost reverence and love and appreciation for these teachings that come from this path. That's that. And does it does the meaning of Dagavtar can that be translated to English? Yes, absolutely. And it's very profound when when you receive this email, you get this message back and they share the meaning of it. And most of the people that I have spoken with that also have chosen to take up on a spiritual name, their spiritual name, it resonates full on <laughs> with who they are. So Dagavtar translates to a kind graceful and courageous embodiment of the divine and I'm, I'm a very kind and gentle soul but I also have this passion this warrior spirit in me to want to serve to serve all souls especially well, to serve all souls is to serve the one because in each soul lives the one the one creator of all creation and so yeah a kind graceful and courageous embodiment of the divine is what my name represents.
Hmm. And you're right. The the name Nicholas Thales? Thales. Thales. Yes. Nicholas Thales Giordano. It's a beautiful name. Yes. And <clears throat> I think about my name, Harry Friedman. And and more recently I've been going with Haribo. Haribo. And it's a similar story actually. I, I was with some folks one weekend at a festival, just like you said. Mm. And I thought, hey, maybe this weekend I'll try Haribo. Just start introducing myself as Haribo, see how people take it. Mm. And the the reception was uproarious. Like people <laughs> definitely approved. And I thought, hey, this is great. Like people are having fun saying my name. Mm. And and since then I didn't know there's so many meanings to that name. Yes. Wow. And uh and it's been a joy uh, having having that name Haribo. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember an interview I watched with Ram Das years ago, where the interviewer asked him, "Why, why do you go by Ram Das? What happened to Richard Alpert?" Mm-hmm. And and he said, "Our our name that can remind every time my name is uttered, every time I I remember the name Ram Das, it's an instant." reminder of the divine and my purpose mm. it's beautiful that a name can do that it is it's, yeah like I'm feeling my you know that feeling that subtle transmission of that sacred energy that just it shakes you it, you know it lights you up it lifts the hairs on the back of your neck and through your body up your spine, you know that feeling? Mm. I just felt that spirit dropping in, just being a confirmation. Because yeah. again, again and again, learning more and more, it's about the frequency and the vibration that we hold. And it's not that these names that have been given to us through our parents aren't beautiful, but uh, I think that, you know, that our, the age that we're in, our generation, we're, we're soul rebels here, and mm. we have to. We're here up to great purpose to shift the vibration, the frequency that this earth plane is existing at. That's what we've come to do. So more than anything, it's this purpose to carry out this path of being a spiritual warrior. I remember when I was told your name, Jacob, our mutual friend, he said, yeah, and Haribo. I said, Haribo, that's, that's a great name. I like this guy already. It just, it does it. Haribo, you know, you just want to like shout it out and that totally embodies who you are. Well, <clears throat> when, I, when I first met you, I, I, I see you dressed in white and I, I see you with the head wrap. But I also see someone that, that looks like an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> who who grew up in Philadelphia? Mm. This tall, gentle but beautiful. And, uh, just uh, you still carry the the urban vibration around you, the urban energy. Mm. Um, and I just thought, I just I pictured you and your family growing up. And I, w- one reason I wanted to do this interview, I'm fascinated with the stories that people share with me about how they arrived mm. on their spiritual path. Um, my first interview was with a, a guy named Miles, 
black guy who grew up in West Philly who now teaches yoga, and his oh, Facebook yeah. name is Big Mala Namaskar. <laughs> <laughs> With a picture of Tupac. Wow. Um, and so I see you, and I'm like, wow. You know, who is this? Who is this Italian guy? What do his parents think of <laughs> of where he's at right now? What is this story? All right. Let me give you a little more. I mean, it's a huge open-ended question, but like, we've spoken a little bit about your parents, and and everyone's got a family story that might hold some heavy weight to it. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm just I'm curious. I guess like. How do you feel as though your childhood and your upbringing led you onto the spiritual path? Mm. Yeah. Great question. Um, I'm happy to share. And first is starting with opening, holding that space of it's all God's play in a way this beautiful, harmonizing game, puzzle, journey, one that has no beginning, no end, no good or bad, right or wrong, just this this flow, this journey that we're all in and all a part of. And so I I began my life, um, fast forwarding a little bit, I used to be a baller. I played all sports, especially basketball. Basketball was my passion. You know, we'd play every day, eat, sleep, drink, basketball. And then naturally the best basketball players are brothers. Or African American brothers, which I have so much love and respect for. So all my friends were brothers for the most part. I had a best friend, his name was a rush. And we used to go down to the city into these neighborhoods. We'd be the only two white guys playing with all the brothers and they would take us in and learn so much. Anyways, I was a little gangster running the streets. I <laughs> <laughs> wanted to be a little gangster with tall tees and baggy shorts and rocking Jordans and listening to rap and, you know, getting in fights, although I never fought. I never got in a fight personally, but, you know, when your friends are there, you know, you got to hold it down. And, um, and this led me to become a really good basketball player actually. And I went to college, I went to high school and got more and more into basketball and then on to college to play. And um, played in college? Just a little bit, it ended shortly because, um, well, through this experience, being with the brothers, I also learned a lot of street smarts and this interesting karmic thing that I've just recently finally cleared for myself. Um, Starting day one, like as a freshman in high school, I was being fronted ounces of marijuana from my older friends. And I didn't even smoke at this time, but I was selling. I was selling a lot all through high school and into college, of course. Almost right away, I happened to connect with, like, the top guy of the campus, supplying the whole campus, basically. And I became his right-hand man very quickly. (laughs) And, um, well, let's just say... This is high school? This is now into college. college. So after graduating high school, going to college, connecting with this guy that was running the campus, and became his right hand man, and was playing this game of being this this big shot in a way, making all his money, living 
free, having a good time and partying and all of that good stuff. And I was always a good kid, but I was, you know, I was totally lost and caught up in it. And uh, let's just say that that game ended my sophomore year after coming back from Christmas break. Some things happened, and uh, I guess um, I got. It's not important to go into details, but I got set up and um, I got busted big time. I never forget. It was it was one morning, one early morning. About 6 a.m., I lived in this house, and I was on the third floor, and I woke up to hearing, I thought it was a dreamer at first, and then I was hearing, like, this stampede coming. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, my roommate's, like, fighting right now, or what is this? And then all of a sudden, I heard, freeze, get down, and my heart dropped into my gut, and I knew exactly what was happening. And I said, oh my god. And so I ran to to get the butt and I went to throw it out the window. And as I was doing so, this cop grabbed me, threw me to the ground, and put a shotgun to the back of my head. And he said, the game was over. <laughs> it was like 15 DA agents, like bulletproof vests, the whole sh- nine yards, something you'd see on a TV show. And they took me out back, like six of these guys surrounding me throwing questions at me, <clears throat> trying to get me to talk, and I wouldn't. And he threw me in the back of a cop car, I had me there for like two hours, and he told me I was going to jail for at least two years with a felony. And then uh, uh, I got kicked out of school, lost the scholarship and all of that good stuff, and I had to move back home. And there was about a four-month period between moving back home losing everything and knowing I was going to jail. And luckily I had some money to pay for a lawyer, a pretty good lawyer, and I was able to get a job to a misdemeanor in exchange for to do some time. And in this period between going to jail and leaving school, I was completely broken and full of shame and seeing friends and family and coaches. Oh, Nick, what are you doing home? I was lying. I couldn't even face it. And I was just, you know, you can imagine. And, you know, (laughs) worse things have happened to people. But our reality is our reality. And what we experience is real for us, right? A very rich kid that is born into a millionaire family that doesn't get the Bentley of his dreams. It's like like the worst thing in the world, you know? When he turns 16, something like that. So this was... My whole life that I'd worked out to just psh. And they say you come into your spiritual path one of three ways. Maybe you're born into it, into a family. Like my teacher's children. My teachers do this early morning practice every morning. And so as babies, they were right there with their parents in their lap, chanting mantras and doing kriyas and you know learning about the guru and the teaching of that nature. So your family, you're born into it. Or maybe you you fall into it by grace. It's the, just the incarnation of your soul. You have a very high soul, a knowing, a seeking, and you want to find out more about life. Someone like our friend Jacob. Or by necessity. Sometimes when our backs are against the wall and we're down on our knees, when we transcend that ego and we open up our hearts to something greater than ourselves. But that's where I was at. 
Nay reconnected with our friend Jacob, who was having these epiphanies of his own. <laughs> and he thought he was going crazy. Mm. And at the time that he thought he was going crazy, he was calling out for a friend to connect with. And this is at the time that I moved home. And I, Jacob and I had been going to school, man, buddy, since first grade. Well, we never shared this sort of a relationship. I mean, one day he, we were hanging out and I went over his house. And he just started pouring his heart out to me. And I'm like, oh my God, I've been waiting my whole fucking life to hear this, man. And he gave me this book, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chakra. Chopra and um, <clears throat> I remember just reading like the first couple pages and I was like it just woke something up in me like whoa like this makes sense and we were you know growing and diving in spiritually and doing all of these seminars and different work and then I had to go into jail so I was mentally prepared in a way to you know try to go through this experience and come out victoriously and uh, when I went into jail, I'll never forget, you know, all you have to do really is be in there for a day. I was in for 30 days, but I'll never forget when I went into my cell and those gates closed and you realize you're just a number and you can be completely, you know, wiped off the planet, really. It's this really freaky thing. And they hold you in confinement for Earth three days you don't leave your cell and they observe you and you know do all these things to, s to see where they should send you into population like what block so I went into population and it was on the block and uh, the first few days basically you know jail isn't a place for anybody but it definitely wasn't a place for a young 20 year old baby face white boy you know and uh, so I basically had to fight from my butthole <laughs> Starting from my life, first couple of days, and by the grace of God, there was this, there was this guy, on the block that I was observing and witnessing. He ran the block, right? He, nobody stepped to him. He said how it went, and uh, I noticed that he had a basketball tattoo on his hand with the two one five, the area code of Philly. And I know I approached him one day and just engaged in conversation with him, and immediately. Whatever he saw in me, he something shifted in him. And he brought me aside one day and he said he said, Nick, they call me Young Gambino. <laughs> so it was Italian with the hair slipped back. Young Gambino and he would uh he said, you know, I'm a terrible person. He was raised in Kensington, one of the worst neighborhoods in Philly and had been doing drugs and selling heroin his whole life since he was about 10 years old. And he said, I'm a terrible person. I've done some awful things in my life and, and I see you and you don't deserve to be in here. Yeah, you're a good kid. He's like, I got your back. And actually that night, his cellmate was moving upstate and he had a way with the guards and he managed to move me into his cell and you know, you see movies when I'm like, oh man, what the fuck's about to happen? Thinking like, you know, so I have my guard up. But time and time again, he was there for me and never stepped into my space. If anybody stepped to me, he would step right up and go, this is my young boy, I'm gonna fight you. Don't even think about it. 
And so uh, he, this guy saved me in jail. And, um, and I had to, I was blessed to receive that and have this space to focus on me, right? And uh, I started going to every Bible study possible just to get out and just seeking, seeking. Whatever there was, I wanted to go to it. And there was this one teacher, his name was Mr. Washington, this amazing brother with long, beautiful dreads from North Philly, and he had been in the system his whole life until he was 60. He found God in his life and completely flipped his life around to the point where he was working as a counselor in this jail. And he dropped a, a, a course, a Bible study, that rocked me, like I was saying, sent chills up my spine and just, whew, I felt this energy in me, this sense of gratitude, this, yes, this is, this is truth, right? When you feel and you hear truth, it cannot be broken. You cannot manipulate it. It doesn't lie. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so I went back to my cell and I read a letter to this guy saying, like, I have to meet you, etc., etc., just pouring my heart out. And literally, he called me to my office, and his office, in like, not even over two hours. And he was like, "Who are you?" He lives. He lives on on the campus. And he would work in the campus, mm. and he was there, you know, for most of the day, but didn't live there. No. Mm-hmm. And he called, but he had an office, and um, and uh, he said, "Who are you, man? Like, what's your story?" And I started telling him, and he was like, "This letter here. This is." I don't get these letters. Like, you, what's you got something going on? And I started pouring my heart out, and he just said some things to me that I'll never forget. And I went back to my cell and just fell to my knees, and I said, surrendered my whole being to God, to love, to light, and to serve this love and light, whatever it may be. I said, this is it. This is it for me. I just remember crying and. You know, just trying to pray. I was very new. It's only when we were very new and innocent, we were the most powerful, actually. The spiritual ego was very tricky. So it was just fully raw and just, and something took over me. Love, God, the spirit of the one. And since that time, getting out of jail, it was whatever I could, yoga, meditation, seminars, anything I was in, I was yes. It just kept going deeper and deeper and then you know, I found yoga was just a really incredible perfect match for me as I was such a mover my whole life physically that then this physical activity that felt so good in the body and took me deep into that sacred space within I wanted to be a teacher of it and so I started teaching yoga and that was amazing and I was still in Philly and so after being so full of shame and what I had done, etc., etc. I transformed it to being, yeah, this is what I did, and this is my testimony. This is my path. How can I help you? How can I serve you? And after transcending that and transforming my life there and the environment around me, it was, what's next, right? So then I moved to San Diego to get weirder, right? <laughs> to learn from a more conscious community, so to say. Before moving to San Diego, you did your yoga teacher training? Correct. In what yoga? Vinyasa yoga. Okay. Yeah, I did 200 hour certification with an amazing teacher here, Bridget Yani. And um, 
yeah, so then, and then in San Diego, I was teaching full on on the beach and in different studios. And the yoga was amazing, but I was still seeking spiritually deeper and wanting to know more. And I was actually... Why, why did you move to San Diego? I put the intention out there. And a good friend whom I, I shared, um, who I actually had a dream about last night, and uh, who I um, had a nice relationship with, but he moved to San Diego, and in his time of moving, and me waking up and going through what I went through, we actually grew closer and closer. And as I put the intention out there to want to move and grow and learn more, he reached out to me saying, hey Nick, I want you to be my roommate. He lived not five minute, not even a three minute walk off the beach in San Diego. He offered me the first two months rent free and offered to buy my plane ticket out there. So I said, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'd never been to California. I had no attachments to go anywhere, but the way that it felt was guided. <clears throat> Did you have any attachments here in Philly at the time? No, I wanted to, I wanted to move. You were ready. Yeah, yeah. And so I jumped on that plane with a few bucks in my pocket and got to work. And it was a very, you know, humbling and a lot of learning in San Diego to be able to stand on my own two feet and across the country and, you know, all my family and everything is back here. So just creating a new life for myself and then I succeeded. But I was still hungry spiritually. I was still seeking more and more. And at this time, I was, San Diego community is really beautiful, but there's a lot of who's yogier than yogi and all of this stuff. It's great, there's no right or wrong, but it wasn't for me what the communities that I was finding. And so I was actually given an opportunity to go to Costa Rica to work on a farm and just be in the jungle. And I thought, man, that sounds like really powerful. And the day I was gonna go and get like my passport and all of my credentials to be able to moved to Costa Rica that morning my buddy took me up north to um, Trestles which is one of the best surf spots in the United States and on this day it just so happened to be a 10 to 12 foot day right and I was surfing for about two years now like every day living just off the beach it was it was incredible and I was good <laughs> I was way over my head and uh, I actually caught a wave, but I didn't know how to get out properly. And I got caught on the inside, and then got stuck under about a five wave set. I couldn't get up, couldn't get up, couldn't get up. And finally, when I got up, my freaking board came out of nowhere and rocketed me right in my face and completely knocked me out. And however, I was somehow able to gain consciousness and climb upon my board and washed up upon shore you got knocked out and and regained consciousness before drowning yeah it was crazy full on man and then swam to shore yeah somehow got to shore yeah and I didn't know my whole face was numb I didn't know I thought my nose was busted. Where, where did the board and the, hit you? The craziest thing, it, hit, it couldn't hit me in a more of a precise spot. Right here, right at the top of my teeth, and underneath my cheekbone and above my teeth. So like right into my gum and jaw. And it hit so hard, 
that it tore my cheek off from my gum and there is air getting through my navel passage into like the, my mouth area oh my god it tore the skin like you could see into your 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 skin inside of it like yeah in the inside you know when you you press your tongue up yeah and then it, it stops uh-huh. well that was torn oh off. wow yeah and so it was pretty gnarly and uh a key point that I, I um, that is important in this whole mix of things is just about a week before this whole thing had transpired, I was invited to my teachers, my now t- my teachers now, their home, by a friend that I was teaching with on the beach, to this practice that I've been talking about a bit, the early morning practice called the Aquarian Sadhana. Where in their home for the past 30 years, they've opened up their doors to the community, to anybody that wants to come and to do this special practice with them, where they're chanting this prayer called the Japji Sahib, and then you move through a Kriya, and then it's an hour of chanting these sacred mantras, the Aquarian mantras. And I went, and I had a profound experience, like nothing else, but I thought to myself, my mind thought, this is amazing. I definitely want to do this at some point in my life, but there's no way that I'm ready. And so after the, you know, I said, no. Why, why did you feel that? It's just immaturity, just in the mind, you know, our mind is a, is, has a mind of its own, mm. <laughs> you know, fear, mm. really, short fear. Not ready to commit fully, though I was. And so... I went, and then the surfing accident happened when I was going to get ready to move. Because I thought, I'm not ready yet. To Costa Rica. Well, when I was injured, I like I had to hold my cheek down for like two weeks. And I couldn't smile or laugh or anything. And uh, all I could think about doing was going to Sadna. All I wanted to do was go to Sadna. The morning practice at my teacher's home. And so after about three weeks or so where I felt like I was physically able and ready to go back. Um, I didn't have a car at this point, but one of my best buddies, he was out, of, he was going out of town. He let me borrow his car for a whole week. And so I remember I went Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, I had this profound experience. So the Kalilini lineage and the way that teachers hold themselves is much different. And my teacher is a seven-year-old, his name is Guru Mancha, dressed in all white with his long beard and turban. And after every practice, you know, you're used to going to yoga studios and teachers are like, come give me a big hug, like, you know, I love you and you're great and all of these things, which is beautiful. But here it was like very content and very mature and it was just I would just say Satnam have a nice day thank you so much for allowing me to be here you're saying normally he would give you a big hug but on this Wednesday it was different vice versa in most yoga studios that you go to most yoga teachers that you're used to and other lineages it's, it's very open and loving uh, and like, okay not that the Kundalini lineage isn't but it's you just hold yourself a different way so I was used to teachers being, you know, after class and stuff, you give them a big hug uh, and you're like, okay. thank you so much, that was great, I love you, and yeah, it's great. We hear after practice, 
the times that I was calling, I was just, you know, thank you very much. And I'd be on my way, have a nice day. Mm. And that was that. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday at the end of practice, all of a sudden Guru Mantra came up to me and gave me this big old hug. He was like, hey, buddy, come here. Uh-huh. And he wrapped his arms around me, gave me this big hug. I'll never forget it. I like almost fell. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, what was that? And uh, I couldn't stop thinking about it all day. <clears throat> and then uh, the next day I went again. And then his wife, Mary Bonnie, she pulled me aside after practice. And she said, hey, Nicholas, like, just want to know, like, who are you? What are you up to in life? Like, why are you here? This is after five consecutive days of going, mm-hmm. which you probably hadn't done it until then. No. Okay. And then, you know, I started, she's like, you know, tell me your story, basically. And I started, like, pouring my heart out. And, like, you know, I want to serve. I want to do good in the world and this and that. Oh, love and peace and happiness. And she just pierced through all of my shit. And she was like, dude, you need to get grounded. <laughs> you know, you, you've told me that before. <laughs> what what did she mean by that? You know, because it, it wasn't shit. You're saying how you want to serve. You want to like, you want to be a force for good in the world. Yeah. So what does she mean? And, and I think this, a lot of people, including myself, can want to serve mm. and need to get like, I need to get grounded. We all need to get grounded. But mm. what does that actually mean? What did she mean? A great question. And I think it's just essential for most yogis today, as we are very, um, we are rainbow children, you know, we are the, we are the, what are they called, indigo children. We are naturally very spiritual beings. As they say, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but rather spiritual beings having a human being experience. That's for all humans, you believe? Or, or this yes. generation in particular? All, all beings. All beings. But we have come in at a higher frequency, a higher vibration. This generation? Yes. And so a few ahead of us that have been showing us the way. And the ones to come will be more and more and more conscious, more sensitive. And so what she means by that, what that means is that Yes, we are spiritual beings, but we are having this human being experience. And to carry out the spiritual journey, you must be functional as a human being. And what I mean by that is to say I want to serve and do good and spread love is all good and well. And it means well, but it's in a sense wishing upon a star. Mm. And to get grounded, you are that star. To get grounded means you must take care of yourself so you can better serve others. You must serve your life, be successful. You must serve yourself, be successful in your life, in your endeavors, to be able to afford to pay the bills, to have a roof over to your house, your head, to be able to give to others and still carry out your spiritual mission. That we must be both spiritually and worldly successful. Midi pity is what it's called. And this what is, is it called? Midi pity. Midi pity. Yes. Spiritually and worldly successful. And that is the path of yogis in this age. Maybe not, but I believe so. That we must be shadow workers. 
We must bring our light into the darkness. This is not the age to go and meditate in cave for 150 years. We don't have that time. This is a crucial point in human history. And we have to be in the world to be able to take care of ourselves. If we can't take care of ourselves, then what good are we doing? If we're not grounded and rooted, then we cannot hold space for other beings. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so we must, and also it's very important as teachers of yoga and spirituality, that we must, 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 must be able to be prosperous outside of the teachings, have means outside of the teachings. Because if you as a teacher are dependent upon your students for your well-being, that cuts the natural flow and mm. harmony of student to teacher relationships mm. and then there's an agenda going on mm. and this and that and that is the tricky part and this is where the spiritual ego can come in mm. manipulation and this or that but to be a teacher is to teach with no attachments no trying to get anything from your student but simply to serve them and make them ten times better than you ever were not needing a penny from them though they do need to give energy, give money to keep the energy flow, to initiate the teachings. Yogi mm. would say that as a student, you must initiate the teachings. As a student? As a student, you must initiate the teachings. What you give is what you get. How much you believe in it, how much faith you have in it. Because it's like this. When Jesus was walking through a crowd of people and this woman that was deathly ill, deathly ill, and very sick, she knew that if she just touched the robe or came into the space of Jesus, that she would be healed. She believed it with everything in her, in her being. And it wasn't so much when she touched his robe, Jesus' robe, and he stopped and said, who touched me? Because he felt something. He felt the faith and the belief. It wasn't his power that healed her. It was her faith, her belief. If she just touched it, she would be healed. So as students, we have to give ourselves. We have to bow our heads. We have to give our heads to this to whatever it may be for you. And as teachers, we hold that space. We be grounded in not having to go and teach or to push anything on anyone, but to just hold the space. And when you feel somebody that comes in and that's ready to listen, you serve them and you pour into them all that you have. When that woman said, you need to get grounded. Did you take that to mean I need to I needed to narrow my focus and 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 find my spiritual path, find my find my practice? Mm. I knew right then and there that Kundalini Yoga was my practice. That was the moment? Yes, because after she said that, she said, Dude, you need to get grounded. And tomorrow we have a teacher training that starts. And she said, I need this amount of money to, from you in cash. This is what it looks like every weekend. It's nine months long. These are the requirements. Take it or leave it, buddy. Hmm. She wasn't trying to push 
anything on me. She just take it or leave it. I went home that night and all I could think about for that day and tonight, all I could think about was doing the treatments. I have to do this. I barely, the money that I had to my name was the down payment that I had to put. Not, not, you know, I barely had in, enough. But I knew I just had to do it. And like the frequency, right? The vibration that we keep talking about. When she said, dude, you have to get grounded. It wasn't her, right? It was what was coming through her. And she said it with no agenda. And she pierced, when I say she pierced through all my stuff, she was speaking to my soul. And so I did it. And I dove in to this teacher training for nine months. And for nine months, every morning I would go to a crying sadhana. I didn't have a card this time, like I said, and I found a way. There's these things called car to go. <laughs> so I would wake up. Well, I was working in a restaurant too, so I'd get in around 12 o'clock every night and go right to bed dressed in my yogi clothing. And then I would wake up at about 3 o'clock, get, just get a couple hours of sleep, and I'd have to go on my phone onto this app, car to go, where there's all these little smart cars in certain cities allow this, parked around. And you go and you can go and you rent it and then you can drive it to the location and park it. And so every morning I would get up, but go on my app and I'd have to find the nearest car to go. Sometimes they were like two miles away. So I'd get up at three o'clock, brush my teeth, this and that, and run to this car to go. Get in the car to go and fly over to my teacher's house about a 15 minute drive. Get there by about 3.50 and begin practice. Every morning I just gave it all. I said, I don't know what's happening. Some mornings I would feel like I'm in this ecstatic bliss. Other mornings I felt like I was dying. <laughs> I didn't know what was happening, but I knew something was happening. Quick little bathroom break. This was a nine-month program? Yes. The level one teacher trainings for Kundalini Yoga under the KRI Kundalini Research Institute. I was taught by Yogi Ji, Yogi Bhajan for usually about nine months. Every other weekend with a lot of different requirements. It's, a, it's definitely a path for those really wanting to see to really break through and to dive deep into themselves into the true essence of who they are so there's requirements like chanting special mantra for two and a half hours twice and making the aquarium sadhana at least four times me i was there every morning um there's a lot of powerful this yeah it's I'm very uh, impressed by the way that Kundalini, the KRI conducts. KRI? Yeah, the Kundalini Research Institute uh -huh. conducts their trainings and holds their teachers very responsible, like at a very high level. Was, so was this training, was it done at the same place where you were doing the Aquarian Sadhanas? Yes. Which was... A KRI headquarters or something? No, you can 
No, it was at my teacher's home, the ashram in San Diego. And um, you don't have to do it at any specific location. That you just the lead teacher has to be go through the whole curriculum and be in the KRI Academy, which is um, at least a ten-year process, which is what I'm presently in going uh-huh. through. How many days a week was this? Um, that you well, were going to their home. Well, I was going every morning for Aquarian Sadhana. I actually, in my time seeing after graduating from the teacher training and all that stuff, I actually, I yeah, I asked to move in and live with them. Like, I became very close with my teachers, and um, I was just all in. I was like, I'm in San Diego here now for a reason, and it's you guys. Like, I wanna in it <laughs> so I was actually living with my, my teachers these 70 year old gurus <laughs> it was an amazing experience very grateful so even after the training ending I was still going to sadhana every morning I went to sadhana every morning for about two years um, give or take obviously nobody's perfect miss a day here or there this is at 3am begins at 3.50am 3.50am yes if there's one thing that I can guarantee you in the world, it is at 3.50 a.m. My teacher's beginning this practice. In the beginning of practice, you chant the Japji, which is the song of our soul, this sacred prayer that goes for about 20 minutes, and he holds it in high plank, high push-up, reciting. It doesn't flinch or shake or break a sweat. It's incredible. His teacher gave him this as his personal sadhana to do on top of the sadhana every morning about uh, 15 years ago. very powerful you know I I'm just actually very curious about something I want to back it up sure by the when you left prison mm. um, you were you were already set on the spiritual path mm. you received that from what was that brother's name and Mr. Washington. Mr. Washington. Yes. And Mr. Washington was coming from what spiritual path? Hmm. He was a Christian. Christian. A believer in Jesus Christ fully. Mm -hmm. And I was deeply in love with Jesus. How did yoga enter your life? Well, again, I'll just interesting I keep going back to it. the frequency the vibration that feeling right that is what we're wanting to feel like at all times with us and so that that same spirit that I was receiving through his the teachings of Jesus and what I felt the same spirit led me to many other teachings and into yoga they're one and the same and there's actually many teachings that are coming out that Jesus was a yogi, a Buddhist monk, and traveled all through India for 16 years. They're all one and the same. And so to limit yourself just to reading the Bible is a shame. And it's not. Everybody has their path, but in this age, with the access to all of this information, each one of them is a thread threading this beautiful quill of this one blanket 
that covers us all. That's really striking a chord with me because um, recently I've been thinking about what what it means to honor one's roots and and where's the line between uh, a culture, a tradition resonating with us Mm -hmm. and also um, appropriation. And and uh, I'm finding personally that I resonate much more with the yogic path than with my Jewish roots mm. and the traditions of Judaism. Mm. And it's the same for a lot of friends of mine, uh, either coming from Christianity or Judaism. Um, there's something about the practices of meditation and, and yoga that are, are just like, hitting deeper with us mm. and so I, I, I'm curious to just pick your brain on that like why, why is this happening why is why are we really vibing with with yoga and, and why is Christianity and, and Judaism and, and these other religions that maybe our parents grew up with why are these not resonating with us as much Great question, and I'm honored to share what I think about this, <laughs> what I believe in the court. Well, let's take a look at it for a moment. And all of the great teachers that we have, that have, we built religions around, they were rebels. They did it their way, man. Right? They didn't, we don't follow, there's no famous teacher, I'm taking at it. There's no... Nobody that's left such a lineage that's created a religion that followed someone else. Say that again? There's no, like, religions that have been built around a teacher, someone like Jesus Christ, that followed another religion. He did it his way. Mm. Right? You get what I'm trying to say? And the most powerful yogis of our age of our teachings, they didn't have, they learned from all different lineages and created their own way. Mm. And so it's so important to develop this friendship, this relationship with the utmost honor and respect of source, but it's a friendship, co-creator and creator, micro and macrocosm, and that our, our duty as beings is to figure out how it works for us and what makes a difference for us, and that there's no one way to do it there's no right way to do it but to figure out what makes your soul dance what makes your soul sing and so i believe that these religions are really beautiful but they are old and they're becoming outdated and as i said we are becoming more and more conscious so it's about elevating the frequency and yoga is such a beautiful tool for all of it because it's about union with all oneness it's a practice of going within yourself and meditating and contemplating these teachings and see what arises and really rocks you the teaching the first guru which Sikhism was created from he was a Hindu a Buddhist he would walk around with a turban but wear Hindu beads and you know, he would go travel the whole world and his whole thing was singing and chanting and meditating and praying on the name of God, which is truth. 
And so everywhere he went, he'd go to the Himalayas. He'd go and chant with the, and sing with the Muslims, with the Hindus. And he would say, continue on your rituals. Go for it. But invite the presence of God in it. Don't just go about this and become dogmatic. Feel God within you. He would go up to the yogis and he would say, they would say, man, what religion are you? And he'd say, well, what religion is the earth? What caste system are you? What caste system is the wind? His teachings were so profound and it rocked people and he became, they started to become a following around him. And then Sikhism began to be created through different emperors and rulers trying to kill these people because they were such a threat. They would give their heads before giving their faith. So, it's, I believe it's our duty as spiritual beings that we are, in a sense, we are evolution. And when we follow these traditions, which is very beautiful, but we must integrate them into our lives and how they make sense for us to allow us to be happy. Be happy. Figure it out for yourself. Don't do it the way someone else tells you. Invite God into you. Have a relationship with God. And have the practice that honors that, which serves that, which gives you this experience. And there's no right or wrong way. And so these older religions, these faiths of Christianity, of Judaism, they were in time of different language, of a different age of consciousness. And we're elevating from that frequency, that vibration. You know, things like in the Bible, like you're a sinner, you're born a sinner, this or that. No. No, not true. You know, in the eyes of God, we're like little baby infants. We could never do any wrong. You know, you wouldn't get angry at a little baby for spilling over the drink when they were just trying to take a sip of their drink for the first time without a sippy cup, right? You say, oh man. Or when a child falls again and again and gets back up again and again and again until they're able to walk. Do you strive to, to take on that perspective when viewing the disasters of the world? Absolutely. I believe it's just a beautiful cleansing that's happening. People are being shook and awakened. And the shadows are coming up to surface. And we must clear out the karma. We must heal this karma. This is our, this is our destiny, I believe. To heal this planet Earth and these, these, these old subconscious thought patterns that we are imprisoning ourselves in. It's time for oneness, unity, accepting all religions, all faiths, Whatever you do, that you do, just invite the presence of God into it. Being a teacher, I wonder about your students. And I'm sure you get a whole spectrum of, of students. 
some just maybe coming for a workout, trying something new, mm. some who are really actually seeking something more profound. Mm. And <clears throat> because I, I'm, I love what you just said about bringing, do, do your traditions, engage with your rituals, but bring God into it. Mm-hmm. Don't be dogmatic. When you said that, I thought immediately of synagogue. When I go to synagogue with my mom on Shabbat or on a holiday, and I look around, and I see the people saying the prayers, and bowing, and getting up, and sitting down, turning to the east, turning mm-hmm. to the west. And I'm just, I wonder to myself, you know, what, what's happening inside? Mm. Are, are, how many of us are feeling it right now? <laughs> How many of us even understand these prayers? Mm. And and then I think, okay, well, so this is this is class for some of these people. And and I'm reminded of, of like say a Kundalini class that I go to. What's happening in that class? And from your experience, <laughs> what what do you see happening? <laughs> hmm. Forgive me for such an open-ended question. No, it's a great question. Um, all of it. As teachers, what I believe, what we're really there to do is to hold space hold space of transmuting that subtle, subtle energy, that frequency. And people are going to go through what they go through. They're going to come through those doors for whatever reason that brought them there, and you honor that. And you can do nothing but hold the space and serve them and meet them where they are at. And I have been presently surprised after feeling guided to move back to Philadelphia to serve and to share the teachings of Kundalini Yoga, which the intentions of Kundalini Yoga is to give you the experience of your soul, to feel God within you, to feel God not as this something outside of you, but the life force within you. That feeling that we've been talking about again and again that rocks you within you, experiencing that. And so many people come for the physical and this and that and the more that I show up and pour my heart out and hold that sacred space of inviting in the divine inviting in inviting in all the angels the saints and the sages because good lord knows they need their help (laughs) (laughs) and they'll connect however they connect and they do again and again I have older women coming up to me after practice kind of crying and being like tough feely girls being like what the fuck was that man <laughs> I mean, that's your soul it's hungry and you finally gave it a hug you finally acknowledged it it's this feeling that cannot be described that's what I was saying Kundalini lineage why Guru that the divine wisdom gives you this feeling of ecstasy that cannot be described by words Zwahi Guru. Wow, God is amazing. 
this is your journey, your path, and you'll go through what you need to go through until you feel that coming back home. So, I see and feel a lot of students sometimes leave upset or a little frustrated, but I have the understanding and the strength to recognize that that's their stuff. And they're working through what they're working through. And I give them my love and compassion, but I do not go to hold their hand so they are on their journey. And if you try to hold your student's hand and say, here, follow me, let me take you this way, you're doing them a disservice. A teacher must be perfectly personal and impersonal. To, you know, to, if there's a puddle, to lay on that puddle so they can walk over you and not get wet. But at the same time, they must take that step to serve them, but also to be stern and strong and knowing when they're in their stuff and their story you smile and you say okay I bless you and God heard you it's in their hands he she well, you're a teacher now in Philadelphia back home and Jacob, a friend that we mentioned earlier, who, who came to you at a really vulnerable moment in your life, mm. now you're, you're partners with him. Mm. And you have this project called Solutions for Evolution. Yes. What's going on with that right now? It's a good question. Um, I think that's more of Jake's Jacob's baby than mm. than mine, but mm. I'm very much a, a crucial part of that. Mm. And solutions for evolution, that we, Jacob and I ourselves, have to be patient and unattached and evolve how we have to evolve and see how it's most powerfully going to come through to serve, to have no attachments to how that would look. So we know we are meant to teach these workshops together and do things of this nature, but we also have a individual purpose and a destiny in a way of being a powerful teacher in our own unique way and sometimes that looks like it's merging together and other times it's look like doing our own dance so to be quite honest with you i don't have that answer with you i'm not attached but i know that solutions for evolution is kind of going off of what i said of you know don't become ritualistic and dogmatic yeah. You live your life. You be you. And just by being you, you are naturally a solution for our planet's evolution. Mm. As Jake and I, we say in together, we, we are, you know, a unifying force of love, recreating what it means to be human. And we just want to serve. But like I said earlier, we also have to be grounded and be able to take care of ourselves not rely upon that so we're in this like, transition period of seeing how it's going to look mm. I know we both recently have been going through a lot of healing and so we give it to God <laughs> but it's going to be something powerful on this earth plane no doubt about it I 
Well, I've been eager to to get into this part of our conversation. And, um, you just returned from India. Yes. Two days ago? Yes. Well, India and then Mexico. I was in Mexico as well, in the mine lands. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And... But India was... We could definitely focus on that. Oh, I mean... You already shared this amazing story with me. Like, what a way for your, your trip to start off with a train. Not that you, you weren't on this train, but a train was derailed. And, of course, of course, on your, your journey to India, you'd have to deal with some some speed bumps along the way. <laughs> yeah. with Like, having to get off the train and get a lift and mm-hmm. arrive at the airport 40 minutes before your flight. But, of course, you got on. Um and so yeah even on my way to when I was on the plane so we were making a stop when we we flew out of New York and um, we made a stop in Mumbai before our final destination and it was like a transition stop so we had to get off the plane and go through this transition area and then get back on the plane well Lo and behold, when I was getting off the plane, there was a woman that needed some help. In Mumbai? Yes. And so I offered to help her. And I was carrying some of her bags, and I took her through until she was okay on her own. And when I tried to come back to the transition area, now I'm in Mumbai. It's full-on India. It's my first time there. And I'm asking how to get back, and I was guided in the complete opposite direction. (laughs) And next thing you know, I'm going through customs and this and that, and I'm trying to explain, no, I have to get back to this area, or where is this area, to transition to my next flight. This is not my destination. It's, oh, oh, you know, da, 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 da. <laughs> you have to do this now, you're here, and um, I'm going through, and, and then I'm like, I'm completely lost. And I'm like, fuck. Huh? <laughs> and um, <laughs> I finally find some guys around like baggage services and stuff and I'm like hey guys like I show them my ticket and this and then like what are you doing here man you have to and I'm like I know I don't know (laughs) and they're like it's it's too late like you can't go and so they're like we're gonna help you kind of and they're like making these calls and I'm like what's going on I'm waiting there for like now like an hour I'm like what's going on what's going on we're like we have we, we got your bag for you. Finally, after an hour, somehow they got my bag off the plane and got it to this section that I was at. Unbelievable. Yeah, because I couldn't get back on the plane in time because I was already out of that section. And God. So they got me the bag. I, thank you for that man who helped me. After an hour of, like, I was just chanting and praying. I was like, please help me, please help me. And, um... And then it was like, okay, now I have my bag and my belongings. Like, like how do I get back up to the area to get to the, my destination? And they're like, go this way. They were kind of like, they were very busy, so they kind of sent me on my way. And then I'm trying to go through security and this and that, and I keep getting stopped again and again and again. And finally I get towards the area I'm supposed to be. And um, they're like, you missed your flight. You have to go and buy a new ticket. And I'm like, well, where do I even do that? Like, someone please help me. And this guy, he was like, he knew I was like, this guy needs some help. And so he took me down and got me a new ticket and I had to buy another ticket. 
and then finally went through um, like dropping my luggage off to get onto the plane got my plane ticket and then finally made it to my destination referring to this idea of being grounded right so you can better serve and take care of others and it's just it's, I learned a lot of pretty harsh lessons in India and having to take care of yourself to better take care of others I certainly didn't have an extra $200 to spend on another airplane but I had to do that but you know this woman needed help but I didn't necessarily have to, there's just different ways of being more savvy and using the meditative projective mind to really, you know, I could have gotten somebody else, this woman needs help, I need to go this way, this this idea of not being being grounded, not just floating off and taking you where the wind takes you. Ah, hmm. uh, okay, so Does okay. this make sense a bit yeah, more? I can learn yeah. all of these lessons. So I finally made it to my destination where I was meeting my teacher at a, a family friend of hers and they saw that I was supposed to arrive um, three hours earlier and where it was like 12 o'clock at night now uh-huh. and they were getting very worried so it's just these you have to be you recognize your impact on others you know it's not oh I want to serve and do this but no like there's also a responsibility that I have and people are counting on me to be here and there and there's just this beautiful dance and balance in life that we will learn again and again and again. Midi pity, spiritual and worldly success. Mm. And even <laughs> getting to the the final destination, then I had to take a taxi to this to this home to meet my teacher. I knew once I would meet my teacher, I'd be a bit more safe because she had been there many times and. So it's late at night, and she said, you know, be prepared when you leave the airport. Like, this is the taxi station that you have to go to. Don't let anybody touch your bags. And in India, it was a beautiful, beautiful place, but there's a lot of poverty, and people are fighting. There's a billion people in this country, and you have to fight for to survive. Survive of the fittest, full on there. So, I, you know, when they see Americans, they see dollar signs. Mm. But it doesn't have to be your dollar. So, but... <laughs> just growing these new muscles. I'm walking out of the station. These people are coming up to me. Here, take my taxi. Take my taxi. Da, da, da. I'm like, no, I have to go here. And then finally I get there. I'm like, I don't even know if these guys are the guys. But I do it and I buy the taxi. And then I'm getting the taxi driver's car. And all these people are trying to take my bag to put it in the car. I'm like, I got it. I got it. I'm asking for money. Just this beautiful experience. Where, where in India are you? This is in New Delhi. Okay, Mumbai to New Delhi. Yes. And then, uh, um, yeah, it was just full on. And I get in my taxi driver's car, and he speaks about just a little lick of English. And I'm like, this is the destination. Do you know where this is? So, like, do you have a GPS? And he's like, no. He's like, I kind of know where it is. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, you see on shows and whatnot, if you get in the wrong taxi, you're gone. <laughs> right? So, like, I'm like, at this point, I'm like, all right. I'm freaking locked and loaded. But by the grace of God, somehow we find the location perfectly. It was like a 30-minute drive, and he drops me off. And then the, my teacher and the family was like, dig off time, man. <laughs> what the heck? This is at, what, like 2 a.m.? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> as this is all happening, 
are you are you integrating? Is it is it happening in real time, or are we able to are, are you able to look back on it and be like, yeah, that was a good lesson in grounding? Or have you gotten to that point where like all this is happening, the chaos, and what seemed you know personally, I've traveled and when I make mistakes like that, I get really down on myself. Mm. <clears throat> And, you know, the practice is getting better and better at recognizing there are no mistakes, there's no failure, there's just, there's just feedback, you know. As this is happening, boom, this is, oh, wow, what a gift. This is a moment of learning. So as this is all happening, what, what's going on? Are you, are you like, why, God? Like, aren't I supposed to be getting to India? Why is this so hard? <laughs> um, I would say confidently, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud of myself for where I'm at, um, no, I'm not, I, I'm cool. And it's like, step it up again and again. It's shortening the gap between stillness and activation. So in our mind, we have 81 facets of our mind and the 81 facets are broken into 999. And of the 999, there's negative, positive, and neutral. And these aspects of our mind work for us or not. <laughs> so the negative mind is like the survival of the fittest. The positive mind is like everything's perfect. The neutral mind is the observer of both. In Kundalini Yoga, we work very heavily to cultivate a meditative, neutral mind. So as I'm going, you know, I, mantras, there's nothing more powerful than mantras. Mantras protect us from our own subconscious and they contain it. They contain our consciousness. So while this is all going on, guru guru why guru guru ram das guru 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 why guru guru ram das guru breath. Breathe deeper. Check in, tap in, lock into that navel. Our warrior spirit lives at our navel. That mulaban which we were talking about earlier. Feel that locking. Rise up that sexual energy. When the energy gets stuck down there, it's when the fear, competition, worry, doubt, into the higher centers, like a triangle. Shh, double triangle. Shh, shh. You get it up and you stay up here. The observer, the witnessing, the leaning on the infinite. Having your intuition, seeing things before they happen. Having your intelligence functioning in the world and leaning on the infinite again and again. Like that woman that leaned on the infinite when she reached out to grab. Jesus's robe, she completely trusted and leaned and fell in faith. The three eyes, very important. Does that make any sense? The three eyes being negative. In, well, negative, positive, neutral. Outside of that, the infinite, the intuition, the intelligence, and leaning on the infinite. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And it's important to have intuition before intelligence in this age mm. um, so my meditation practice is strong um, I fully believe so it was just like okay these are the lessons that I need to learn snap out of it keep on going I love it I love step it up step it up step man. it up lock and load yeah hi bud uh, now I've been to India and it's I know what it feels like to to step off that plane. 
<laughs> yeah, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> whole new world. Like, whole new you can't world. even describe it. No. Do you feel like... I don't know. I'm just curious about this. It's a strange question, but are did you sense that... And I ask this because India is a, a nation gra- like founded upon this this yearning for for god and and mm. liberation and spirituality and, and and like there's a there's a respect for it there and and you know india gets so many foreigners seeking some kind of spiritual ticket yeah but did you sense or feel like the people that you interacted with in the short time that you were like in the airport and taking the taxi, could they? F- did, did you feel like they understood who you, you know, where you were coming from, where you were going? Do you know what I mean? Yes that? and no. Yes and no. Because um, uh, you know, um, it's a different culture, it's a different world, and they've been stripped of so much of their resources. You know, apparently back in the day, not too long ago, India had 60% of the world's wealth in natural resources and gold and jewels, etc., etc. And now they have less than 1%. And the British completely stripped them of everything. And now this huge company, huge country with all of this riches in history and tradition and religions and spirituality the motherland, it's definitely in the motherland of it all, um, has been taken advantage of. And so there's people that have nothing and it's survival of the fittest. You know, like we go to a coffee shop and we wait patiently in a single file line. Well, there's a big rush and who's gonna get it first? And it's not like it's a rude or impolite thing, but if you don't step up for what's yours, you're gonna get stomped on, quite literally. Mm. And so in India, we they see us as a lot of people see us as dollar signs. But again, it doesn't have to be your dollar. So on the surface, it's like, but when you sit down and you actually engage with a human being, it's beautiful, and they get it, and they see you, and they actually have the utmost admiration and respect for us truly those us who are genuinely seeking they'll feel it they know they know they're smart people they're very savvy very street smart and they know so from uh, I don't want to jump ahead maybe but from New Delhi then we flew out to the final final destination with my teacher to Amritsar which is a very quick flight and Amritsar is a city in Punjab, northern India, where the Golden Temple lives. And in Amritsar and in Punjab, it's like 90% Sikhs. And me dressing and holding myself as I was, um, it was I was blown away by how much respect and reverence I was given by these people. Um, for example, first night I got there, and you know, every, we all have our different paths and everything. I, I, yeah, I don't know what it is about the Sikh path. I'm learning more and more, past life and stuff. But I love the Guru so much, and the Guru is the teachings in this book. 
it's a not a living person. And the teachings that come from this book just rock me. And the, the, the tradition and the teachings of being a spiritual warrior. Oh, my God. So when I got there and was going, had the opportunity, we were just a 12-minute walk from the Golden Temple, which is said to be the heart chakra of the world. The Golden Temple is this beautiful, 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 beautiful temple. I got, we got in about 10 and whatnot, and I'm like, I can't sleep. Like, I have to go to the Golden Temple. I'm like, you guys understand. You got in at 10 p.m.? Yeah, and so got dressed, and, um, you know, I had no, it was dark, and just streets, and it's dirty, and Who, crazy. Who are you with? What, what? My teacher and a group of people that were also coming to India for the level two teacher training that I was engaging in. And this, this is your teacher from San Diego? Um, no, actually, no. Another teacher that, um, well, long story short, I in Philly, as I'm back in Philly, I recently uh, was, I thought it would be a good idea to do my first, to do a 300-hour teacher training with the first teacher that I did, my original yoga teacher training, Bridget Yanni. In about three weeks in, it just wasn't resonating. It didn't feel right. And so I was guided one day, I said, I gotta step out. I have to step out. It was, I didn't want to hurt her, and she was, you know, so giving to me and like was working out a payment plan, et cetera, et cetera. But I had to tell her, and I did, and she was respectful of it. And not an hour later, this teacher that I was very fond of, a teacher from LA, but she travels the world, she reached out to me on Facebook Messenger, and we've had, you know, just personal engagement at different festivals and whatnot. And it was very fond of her, but nothing personal. But she reached out and basically was like, hey, man, like, what's going on in your life? Like, what are you up to? And she was like, I think uh, you're supposed to be with us in India. And she was like, this is the details. These are the dates. I'll stand for you. Make it happen. Get there. And this was in about a week of making this choice and going to India. So when you step into your, in alignment with your highest frequency, your higher self, and you, you connect to the vision, the will of God, and things open up for you. It's not easy and like a golden road, but yet it is, <laughs> you know? She was proposing to you a level two kundalini teacher training? Yes, So it, in India. With vinyasa, there's like the, there's the 200 hour training. 200 That's like level one. 300. The 300 is yeah. like level two. In Kundalini Yoga, there's level one, and then there's five modules of level two. Hmm. Yeah. Um, was this, this was one? One of the modules in wow. India. okay. And then another module I did in Mexico when I was having this, such amazing experiences in India. I reached out to her and said, yo, I gotta continue this momentum. I have to be in Mexico. I'm all in. She was like, give me what you have. She's the facilitator of this. Uh, yes, and she's incredible. Her name is Haridas Kar. Lives in LA. Yes, although she's very rarely ever home. Uh huh. <laughs> she's very powerful, very special human being. Yeah, I, re I remember the day where you were. It was. It seemed very sudden that your decision to go to India. Right. So, I I don't want to get off that story though. If you're in India. So yeah, we get in that night, and I'm like, Haridas, I gotta go to the temple, man. She's like, all right, man, whatever, go. <laughs> and 
so I didn't have like the cellular data to have a GPS or anything to find my way. It was a weird twin, 12 minute walk and I saw it on the maps and I tried to memorize it. But when you're in the streets, you got no chance and there's no street signs. <laughs> and so I'm walking down the streets, it's pitch black, it's, you know, pretty crazy and this and that and I'm going and, you know, they see you and they're like, come to my shop or this or that. And I would just say, Golden Temple. And they would say, oh. Go this way. <laughs> and then this one guy in a taxi came up behind me, like a one of the tick ticks. Like yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he came up, he's like, hey, hey, ride, ride. And I said, no, no, Golden Temple. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, come with me. I'm like, no, I don't, I just want to go, I don't want to pay. And he said, no, get in on me. Oh. Yeah. And so I got in and he took me right up to the Golden Temple. Wow. Yeah. I guess the people in that that uh, town, village, city, what was it? Amasar. Amasar is a is a town. Yes, a town, a city. A city. Yes. So the people there, they're aware that they're living in a city with the golden temple. Very much so. Their whole life revolves around this temple, in the Guru. It's just incredible. Um. So yeah, I got there and. Uh, Wow. I was walking around and just like, whew. wow. So it's like this huge, um, let's say a rectangular shape with marble floors and big walls on the side, like this temples all around you. And then at one end of the rectangle is this pathway. And in the middle of this rectangle is all water. It's this marble pool, mammy pool. And then there's this pathway into the golden temple, which sits in the middle of the pool. It's just beautiful, literally golden temple. <laughs> it's incredible. It's three stories high and, you know, why you can't describe it. And I get there and I'm walking around and something really profound happened to me where I am stopped dead in my tracks at this, um, on the outside of the pool. You can sit right by the water and there's all these different structures and symbols and beautiful creations of art. And this one structure in particular stopped me dead in my tracks and I was pulled to it like a magnet. And when I got there, it just fell on my face and started crying. <laughs> I started crying? Yeah, I was home. I was home. And uh, I stayed there and meditated, meditated until it was time to go home. And then I made my way back to the hotel and went to sleep and woke up about three and went to the Golden Temple again. Because in the hours between three and seven a.m. is what's called the Amit Vela, the morning nectar ambrosial hours and in the teachings of the Guru the Guru Granth Sahib which is this this text of different saints and sages and poems and yogis and amazing beings in our history that wrote in this book of teachings told their stories their songs all about God and it's written in a language called Guru Muki which is made up of 24 different languages of saints and sages and yogis put together 
and the Guru Granth Sahib reads in a rhythm up and down what's called the Nod, this vibration that brings you into a trance like you just can't even believe. And in the beginning is the Japji, the song of your soul, this special prayer that was written by the first Guru, Guru Nanak. And in the beginning, it's like this conversation with God. And you know, there's countless singers, countless preachers, countless teachers and of all the temples in the all of the sacrifices that man does in the world, you know, what good is it all? How do I know and honor your will, God? How do I walk in your will? How do I honor you? And the response is to wake up in the armor veil and meditate and chant and sing God's name. And so, yeah, I was just say every morning I was there. <laughs> doing that and in this temple there's kirtan going 24 hours 365 and also and I don't know the exact number but at least 11 to 20 something like that different rooms that have this guru this book that they're continuously reading out of 24 7 365 different people never stopping no beginning no end it's incredible. Should I keep going? Let me take another break. The only thing to be aware of is... And we're back. <laughs> so, how long was this training? This training... Well, it was um, the trainings, the modules, each module is required five to six days. It's not made up of a specific number of hours, though I believe each one accumulated is about 200 hours each module. Um, five or six days. About 200 hours. 200 hours. It's like full on. Uh, is that math add up? No, you know what? It's not accurate. But it's, um, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I made that up, but. <laughs> and were you in Amistar the whole time? Yes, yes. Just 12 minute walk for the temple. So every day before, I would wake up every morning at 2.30 and go to the temple. And there was also, you could do sale, which is selfless service. And then. I would be there after that would be just meditating at this temple at this spot that I found for like three hours just listening to the kirtan just in this just trance this state of complete joy and happiness um there's just there's an obvious question that comes up for me first what time were you typically going to bed at night <laughs> Pretty late, man. Well, some a couple of days I was able to get in around eight or nine, but usually around ten to eleven. Now, it—that's <laughs> less sleep than most of us get. Yes. So, are you just like pumping on kundalini, kundalini energy? What What's keeping you going? Is everyone else dragging? Are you Were you dragging at all? Are you feeling tired throughout the day? Um. 
obviously it would be my moments of fatigue, sure. But no, I was supercharged. Um, a little bit of adrenaline, excitement, um, but also more important than all of that, coming back to this consistent theme, frequency and vibration, right? And so the, the lighter we become, the less sleep we need, the less heavy we are. Yogiji, the teacher of Kundalini Yoga, is that he would sleep on average maybe two hours a night and it would be full on all day, every day. And we'll take little naps here and there, about 10, 15 minutes. There's a lot to be said about this, and a lot to be learned about this. And this idea that we're becoming more and more sensitive, being able to carry more and more love and light, a higher frequency and vibration. You know, God's love is so, 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 so strong and powerful. We can't even hardly handle a raindrop of it, whereas we wouldn't be able to sleep for weeks. <laughs> So when you're in this state and you're in this environment that felt like home for me um, and I was doing so much healing and shedding and releasing and holding and filling up, charging up with more and more light, more consciousness, awareness and freeing myself of, you know, entities or trauma, or fear or doubt. You get what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was said, Yogi Ji, when he would sleep, he, he didn't, he was one of the few people that don't dream, doesn't dream, because his subconscious mind was completely clear. And it said that most people, you take about two hours just to get into deep realm sleep, because we're so wired and overstimulated. And then we're in deep realm sleep for about four hours and then take about two hours of coming out because our nervous systems are so weak. Hmm. Yeah. And in those two hours between, before and after, we're quite, um, in the sense of the world, to land a point dangerous. Dreams and nightmares really affect us and our minds. I mean, if we don't clear out the nightmares that we have, um, they can get stuck in our subconscious mind. Um, so when you're very clear and your subconscious is cleared, you can drop right into realm sleep. Boom. And you can come right out like that. How was your appetite during this time? Strong. You're eating a <laughs> Surprisingly, lot? Surprisingly, yeah, because well, there's so much environmentally taking on so much, and I was burning so much. And like, like I said this morning, my appetite has been pretty strong recently, and it actually feels good great yeah because I'm that's something I get curious about like I, I f firmly believe everything you're saying I hold it to be truth and I wonder the same thing about food like if we if if, if we're clear in light then we don't th these survival needs are less apparent for us but what do, you know what you, you you said that you had a stronger appetite though mm -hmm. and I might think like you, you're because I do also believe it we can live without food mm. um, which, so, is, which is very true so why do you think your appetite was so strong well it's a balance between all Haribo because this is also true <clears throat> and I was lightening up and clearing and becoming charged with this light but at the same time look at the environment that I was in I was in India you already know and you're taking in so much from just the environment the pollution and the air and all of this 
to the energies around you, the going, the noise, the overstimming, the boom, 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 full on. So your your system is working very hard. Your immune system is in full on fight or flight mode, like supercharged. It's working hard. So being in that environment, you if you're not sleeping so much and things of this nature, you got to charge. You got to replenish your tanks. Mm-hmm. Your body needs that fuel. You need to be grounded. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I was off let's say in the Himalayas and I was hanging out in the forest and there wasn't many people around me or this and that There's, there would be no reason to take in mm-hmm. that much food mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. so it's like the energy give and receive how much you're giving out to be able to not eat any food you cannot really function in the world mm-hmm. and so it's choosing your path and what you want to be up to and maybe it's important to have periods of fasting and of detoxing and of eating very light but when you're in a highly pressurized situation and you're doing a lot of work and giving a lot of energy that food is absolutely essential so so this training I'm curious about the structure of it was it was it like you know, I can picture some trainings where they're like, all right, it's 2 o'clock, now we're going to do this. All right, it's 3.30, now we're going to do this. Mm. But or, or was this kind of just like, we're going to India, we're going to this golden temple, plug in, and that's your training. Mm. Yes and no. It all revolved around the golden temple, but what I love about Hari Daskar is she's very Aquarian, and she's very... Aquarian? Aquarian, like Which I means... just new age, just... Uh, we came out of the Piscean age, which is the age that our parents and everything were raised in. This page of this um, lot of heaviness, a lot of structure. Do it this way, boom, boom. We have to follow this religion, etc. Aquarian age is the recognizing that God lives within ourselves, and it's this flow, this dance, this God's play. And it's just a, it's just a new way of thinking, a new way of being. Mm. It's it's just it's just a form of language, really. Mm-hmm. It's, um, she's very uh, she's very uh, rebellious very revolutionary I believe mm. and um, you know her trainings are held all around the world to get us out of our boxes to really challenge us so yeah we can meditate all day and we can do this but can you travel can you get to India without being distracted by this woman and get lost and having to blow a $200 can you get home safely can you figure out how to jump from one train to the other as it gets derailed and you you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so in the training, although we absolutely went through and touched on all the subjects of the book, she did not read from book to book. She worked on what was in front of her and what needed to be served. So she pierced deep into each one of us and applied it to the teachings of the module, which was stress and vitality. But she wasn't attached to doing, okay, we have to read this chapter and then that chapter. It would look like we'd be in a chapter and we do this Kriya and meditation and we go into Shavasana and we wake up and we chant Satnam. She'd be like, okay, we have to meet downstairs in the lobby in 15 minutes, we're going shopping or going to eat or we're going to this temple. She'd keep us on our toes. So yeah, you can meditate and be blissed out. Now can you function in the world? It's this beautiful, beautiful um, play. Wow. And um, how many of you in the program? There's only six of us. So it was very special and intimate. And she doesn't. A lot of teachers 
trainers, they, you know, they have like a minimum, right? And she's like, whoever shows up, shows up. And even if it's like one person, then it's that person. If no one shows up, then I have a nice vacation. She's not attached. She gives it all to the infinite. She leans completely on the guru, on God. Now you say this was, uh, um, I'm sorry, what did you call it? There's not a 200 hour, three, but it like. A module? But uh, a mod, there's level five. Two? Level two. Yeah. So, um, like level level one was a prerequisite for this, I assume. Mm-hmm. How did uh, your previous training, like why why is that necessary? What what about this one was different from level one? Good question. Uh, it's all about like leveling up in a way. Um, like could I have just showed up there, or would I have been like totally out of my league? Well, you're strong. You would have been. Okay, but at the same time, it's designed in a way to guide you through the processes that we go through. And level one is like the foundation of understanding the Kundalini Yoga as a Kundalini Yoga teacher, of learning the technology and how it works, holding the space as a teacher, understanding all of these crazy things that Yogi Bhajan brought to us, like why do we take cold showers? Why do we wear this if you choose to? Why do we wear white? And wrap our heads what is breath of fire mm. what is meditation mm-hmm. what is chanting what is Om Namo Guru Dev Namo Sat Nam all these mantras what do they mean what are we doing to the nervous system etc 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 it's just a big foundation of like these fundamental aspects of the lineage that mm-hmm. Yogi Bhajan shared with us and level 2 is just leveling up so now it's more like really being it's a level of like working towards mastery and deepening getting deeper into the teachings and uh, to better serve so the first one we did the module I did in India was stress and vitality and learning about this teachings around stress and the challenges of life and and, uh, how and why and what and then with Kriyas different Kriyas and uh, meditations that work on stress and vitality of putting your body in the stress and why and what we're working to release and break through and charge up with and does that make sense yeah so it's just taking it a step further breaking it getting deeper into it dissecting the teachings more and more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the training I did in Mexico was mind and meditation was what mind and meditation and learning about the 81 facets of the mind and how the mind works and how to befriend your mind and noticing the thought patterns and going deep into meditation and different kriyas that like uh, completely balance the mind and the hemispheres of the brain and different points of the body to move energy and different nerve point endings and all of these things which would have been quite esoteric if I had never had that foundation of level one. Gotcha. That training in Mexico, it was the same facilitator? Correct. Her, remind me of her name? Haridas. Haridas. Yes. Okay, just, wow, there's so much here. C- yeah. Coming back to India, was the was the the vibe and, and the environment around the temple, Was it, would you say it was peaceful? Incredibly. So it's kind of removed from the city? 
in a way. It's smack dab in the center of the it's, city. Yeah, that's how it is in India, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's amazing. You're going through the streets, and then all of a sudden it's like, and like, it's you're on the outside, and you have to go through, and you come down these steps, and you're you're in a different world. Birds chirping, trees. Yeah, huge, huge. But to show you a picture when we're done, it's uh, incredible. So what? So she's like, we're gonna train here, at this temple. But the training doesn't stop once we leave the temple. We're hitting the streets. We're going shopping. We're getting yes. food. What was that like, that transition between temple and streets? So powerful for me, bro. So powerful for me. It was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, again, coming back to the midi-pity, that spiritual and worldly successful, being human mm-hmm. is very important to not get caught up in the spirituality and becoming a fanatic of just meditating all day. It takes you out of the experience of truly being fulfilled and happy in this life that one doesn't work without the other and same with to be a human you must have this spiritual practice you know um, like I was kind of saying our generation that's coming in a lot of us are seekers that are diving deep into spirituality and kind of um, are turned off by the world and being human in a sense and I know I'll speak for myself um, I've been fully committed to this spiritual path since these experiences I've had and it's only going deeper and deeper and deeper and I, with the awareness of needing to be grounded I'm still going so deep spiritually that the grounding thing I'm still working on to this day and will always be working on but I know I have found my home right in my heart and in this in this practice and knowing the truth of my being my true identity now how do I ground that? What does that look like? How can I function in both worlds, right? And so taking us from the temple, from meditating 10 hours a day to going into the streets and shopping, it was incredibly liberating. Hmm. I'm not being so serious. I'm not getting caught up in that spiritual ego and thinking that you need to do this and that and meditate more and more because ultimately I recognized for myself it was a lack of fulfillment on the other side and I was trying to fill up my cup through more. I'm sorry, say that again. I was taking my... I recognized for myself that um, the needing, the thinking that I need to be a, a stronger yogi, a, a meditate more and more and more and more of this and learn more, etc., etc., is very important. But at the same time, I was seeking fulfillment and covering it up with that but really what I'm really longing for is to ground in as a human being and to have success and as a human, to be able to be successful in the world as well. So there's this fine line of balance. And so her taking us from meditating all day, and I used to feel like, yeah, when you do this, you're super sensitive, right, to people's energy and environments, and there's a lot of things that don't match your frequency and it doesn't feel good. You with me? Mm-hmm. Well guess what we are the captain of our ships and we say how it goes and it's not people's energy comes into your field and affects you it's whoever comes into your energy your field you affect them Hmm. it's where the grounding the navel works so i meditate for 10 hours a day i'm not going to go into the world and freak out i'm going to be strong and protect myself i'm going to know when energy is coming at me i'm going to know when i'm trying to get hooked or manipulated I'm going to use my meditative mind to project 
and to create in this world. Yeah, I, I find when I talk to people who are returning from uh, some kind of wellness healing retreat, oftentimes I get, I hear from them that like coming back into the world was shocking and jarring. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, how beautiful that you got to be in India because not only was your training taking you into the streets and back out of the streets, but the streets of India, like, mm. wow, talk about hustle bustle. Right, man. What a blessing, huh? How, how did the streets receive your throng of, like, I'm picturing you guys exiting the temple glowing in white robes, and, like, <laughs> everyone on the streets is, like, staring at you. What, what was that? How did they all, how did the people on the streets receive you? <laughs> it's kind of pretty on point with that. They would just be, like, staring at us, wanting to take pictures. All Americans? No, we basically. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it was like a, there was a Mexican man, there was a Chinese woman, a oh. Canadian woman. Oh, but in their wow. eyes, we're all white. Like we're not we're foreign. foreign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they a lot of people have never seen Americans like that, and so for us to come into their land and to take on their culture, they're blown away. And, and <clears throat> just what you said right there, it touches back on what we were saying before. I I feel like some people might hear that and be like come into their land and you're and you're embodying their culture is there any feeling of like hey white people what are you doing coming mm -hmm. in and doing this well we just listen to those words right like where is that coming from fear separation not unity so in that's a big thing here in America. We're like, you know, we got our cliques and our style, like, who you think you are trying to be dressed like me or this or that, right? When in India, for the most part, I'll speak in particular to Sikhism. The Sikhism are about accepting and embodying all religions, all faiths, accepting all pe people. In this temple, they feed 100,000 people for free a day. So what the teachings are based off of. They welcome everybody and anybody. The first guru was saying, he would go and sing with the Muslims, with the Hindus. And he would say, continue on your rituals, but invite God in. And so all these teachings fall and trickle down from this idea that this one creator of all creation and all souls come from the one. And may I never forget this. And this is so profound for me. And so in this space, whatever they let Muslims, Hindus, even people, we won't go into that, but again, invite them all in and they feed them. They bow to them, they accept them. And so in this place in India, it's not, who do you guys think you are wearing our clothes? honoring our faith, you silly Americans. It's wow. They love the guru too? Mm. Wow. That's amazing. Look how beautiful they look. You know, I feel like that's really what it comes down to is mm. you you're genuine. This is this is authentic. You're you're really you're really feeling it. You're really in it. As opposed to 
I don't know what, what the it's, alternative. And, I guess. And, and so there's one thing, like a frequency thing again, is that you you can say all of these things and put on all these acts, but one thing that will never lie is your aura, mm, mm-hmm. your energy field. Yeah. So people can feel that when you're glowing in gratitude and love of being in this temple. You can't fake that. It shows. It radiates from you. People see it. It can't be faked. And you say, wow, the guru touches them too. Amazing. Why, guru? The most profound experience in India, I'll share with you, that the story of India is I try to really consolidate this, but I really want to share because this was the the game changer for me. All right, can we one last little break? Okay, this is um, this is a big story that I was really wanting to share in this of my experience in India and what uh, really shifted everything for me. And so, it was like the third day in India, um, we, were, we were going, this was outside of the teacher training, outside of the module, yeah. an endeavor that Haridas wanted us to take on. And so I'm gonna say different names and gurus, and it's not really important so much as to the, uh, the idea, the concept, what's really happening. So, about the third day, um, after going to the temple and whatnot, get back and Haridas has planned for us to go to this, this uh, there's many gurdwaras. Gurdwaras is a, a, a temple of worship, a Sikh temple of worship and, and prayer and devotion. And there's, we have them in America. There's many all over India in this area of Punjab. And so we get a taxi and we drive two hours and through, I don't know where, feel like the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, boom, we show up at this beautiful, shining, marble temple. <laughs> and in this temple, there's a well. And in this well, which goes down 84 steps to this well of water. And it was said at the time of Guru Nanak, over 500 years ago, the first Sikh Guru. There was a great drought in India, in all of India, and there was no water except in this well. And there was a man that every day, every morning, he would go to this well, he would fill up a couple buckets of water, and would stumble miles and miles and miles and hours and hours and hours to serve the Guru this water. And he ended up becoming the second Sikh Guru. Guru Amardas is his name. And there was a Gurdwara that was built around this well that is still today existing that I had the honor and the opportunity to go and visit. And at this well, there's become this sacred tradition where in this well, where there's 84 steps which lead down to this body of water, 
underground. You start on step one and you read the Japji Sahib, which I've referred to a couple of times. It's the Song of Our Soul. It's this sacred prayer. It's the first prayer recorded of Guru Nanak. There's a beautiful story about how this prayer was created. If you're interested, I'll share because I think it's important. It was said this Guru, Guru Nanak, who I've been referring to, that would just like really shifted and rocked India. He would go everywhere and would just sing and chant and praise on God's name. Well, he had one father at this time, a very, 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 very talented, skilled ragi yogi, which is music, special music. And one morning, well, every morning, Guru Nanak would go into a river, not this well, a different river. And he would bathe himself and start his day and, and chant and sing about God. Well, one morning, he submerged underwater and he didn't come up. And people were looking for Guru Nanak and they said, where is Guru Nanak? This or that, his belongings are here, but he's not here. One day passed, two day passes, they're thinking Guru Nanak is gone, Guru Nanak is no more. But his one follower just stayed on this rock and didn't say a word, he knew something was happening. Three day passes, he still doesn't come up. And they think, they are, people leave and they say, Guru Nanak is done, they go and tell his family, he's, Guru Nanak has passed, we can't find him. Well, at the end of the third day, it's said that Guru Nanak arises from this water where he was in the state of complete nirvana at one with source. And when he arose from this water, he started chanting this mantra, Hekonkar Satnam Kartapurik Nirvo Nirver Kamur Arjuni Sebang Guru Prasadcha Asach Jugatsach Hebisach Nanakosi be such, which means that one creator created all of creation. And truth is thy name. True in the beginning, true in the end, true here and now. This being is formless, revengeless, fearless, deathless, self illumined. Chant and meditate on this truth of this being. And this was the beginning of this Japji. And as the days went on, his follower, well, he witnessed this and recorded it. And as the days went on, he, they continued to download this prayer which got created into the Japji, which takes about 20 minutes to recite. And it's been passed on in, in a held so sacred in this tradition it's like the foundation of it all it's called the song of the soul again and it's profound I will share it with you afterwards because you should totally listen and um, so fast forwarding to present day go to Odeg Avtar and his crew now going to this not the river but the well where I said again this man would fetch water for Guru Nanak every day that became this holy site that this temple was built around well, it's become a tradition that the Sikhs will start on step one and they will recite the Japji. And then you take your clothes off and you dunk yourself in the well. And then you walk back up to step two and you recite the Japji. And once it's completed, you put the prayer down, you take your clothes off and you dunk yourself in this well. Then this walk up to the third step, you recite, put the prayer down, walk down into the well. Again and again, read, walk down, dunk, walk up, 
read step by step by step by step by step all the way to the 84th step. So again, it's a water. You walk down the steps and dunk yourself in between each step, cleansing yourself again and again and again and again. And this has been going on for 500 years. And Yogi G once brought his students to do this, and it's we. Some of his students have been doing this now through this lineage of Kundalini Yoga. That these Western students have been practicing. Well, I had the great honor and privilege, honor and privilege, to take on this challenge. And so, for 23 straight hours, it took me. Starting on step one, reading the Japji, dunking myself in the swell. Step two, all the way up to 84 steps. So again, it took me 23 hours. And it was just an incredible experience. Very challenging. And I went through all of these different layers and levels and got to experience so many different aspects of myself and different fears and stories and ways of being in the mind. Well, while this is all happening, don't forget that this is, this is a full-on like sacred shine for these Sikhs and their life revolves around this temple. So while I'm doing this, this is one white American guy. Man after man, Sikh after Sikh, is coming down these steps and just, you know, doing their prayer. Not that what I was doing in particular, but they'll go into the well and they would sing and chant and then close right before the well you can hang your shirt up and stuff and chant and sing and then they'd be on their way. It's how they live their life, it's how they start their day. They would even fill up water jugs with this water because they believe how holy it is. You with me? Mm-hmm. And so the experience of being this foreigner right this western man coming to do this i was blown away by the respect and love that i was given time after time the older men would be coming down like long beautiful beautiful men long beards full-on turban beautiful bana is what it's called and would stop to me and would be like why good like city these mantras just of just really powerful, respectful terms and would bow to me with this reverence. And sometimes when I really felt it, I would stop and I would bow to them too. And so I had to go through this whole experience of letting go all fear, all judgment of what they might think of being this foreigner, this outsider. And I had to get this shit done, right? (laughs) So there came a point in time where it was like I had to lock in and the funniest thing about this is the next day was this birthday celebration for the most famous guru, Guru Ramdas, the four Sikh guru who built the Golden Temple. So I started at 11 a.m. and went through the day and into the night. And around 2 and 3 o'clock, it starts getting more and more and more busy. There's like almost like a full-on line down to get into this well fully crowded and like I told you how you know how crazy India is I'm like I gotta get this done so it's just releasing all fear of like I'm like going through the line and butting and like taking my shirt off and going into that well just head down focused (laughs) oh man so many layers around step 60 
And between 50 and 60 were the most challenging steps for me. Where there was a part in time where I couldn't stop biting my nails, a terrible habit I had to my mind, getting mad at my teacher. How do you dust bite? You could have picked a better day. <laughs> you should have known. There was this um, festival going on the next day. And this and that, boom, maybe I can jump a few steps and manipulate all of these things. The girls, I was with a group of girls, and then me. The girls finished in 18 hours. So when they came, they my teacher waved and said, hey, you know, we're leaving, you gotta find your way home, this and that. I'm like, oh my gosh, facing all of my stuff. I'm like, Phew. Right around step 60, spirit came, the guru came, and literally pulled this dagger out of my solar plexus. I'm not one for visions, but I had this most profound experience. And I was like, <gasps> and then all of a sudden, spirit just dropped in, and I just locked in for the last 24 steps. And I was like, <laughs> prayer up, walk down the steps, take my shirt off. Getting naked basically in front of all of these powerful, powerful men, these powerful beings. Come back up, put my clothes on, walk all the way up to the next step. And by this time, I'm getting to the last few steps. It's, it's about 12 o'clock or 10 o'clock, and it's full-on festival out there. They're singing and chanting, and there's all these speeches going, and I'm trying to read the Japji, and there's so much stimulus, so much activity. Just getting close, so just releasing again and again, just surrendering, giving my head, and finally made it up to the top of the step, the last step, the 84th step. And then I just like chanted the whole thing, and I just fell on my face and I said, oh my god. <laughs> Why, Guru? Why, Guru? <laughs> 23 hours straight. And um, it said in doing this, you completely cleanse all of your karma. And not just your karma, but you hear the karma of your ancestors. Seven lineages of the past and seven lineages of the future. was the most profound experience that I've had in my life up to this point, pretty much. Um, Did you know of this practice before arriving in India? I knew it was coming, yeah. You knew it was coming? And it's all optional. All optional. And... It's all I want it's all these things all I want to do is what my soul longs for. Um, what I've learned for myself is as much as we have to be speaking of being rebel yogis and doing it your way, the most important aspect to it all is the sense of devotion and surrender. To giving your head To whatever it is that you connect to. Make sure it's a being of love and light, the source, the one. Giving yourself to that, however it works for you, is the most powerful part in our practice. That each day we bow. When we bow, we merge our arc line, we surrender our halo 
to our teacher when cultures in India in particular if you ever see when there's a holy man people fight about their feet let me be humble humbler let me wipe the dust off the bottom of the guru's feet the lotus feet of the guru let me merge my arc line and be as humble as they may be like I said when we come into our spiritual path sometimes we have to be it's a necessity because it's only then when we are that humble will we open up to something greater than ourselves that which we came from that's what we are not the egoic mind or body these are our tools to function here to be human but it's not the whole show they're just our tools our vessels so each time you dunk yourself in this sacred well coming back to the frequency the vibration you're cleansing we're, we're how much water 90 to 96 percent water or something right so when we're doing that we're literally cleansing and healing ourselves when we go into this water that holds a certain vibration we are fine-tuning our frequency we are clearing our karma the dense energy and we're upgrading to be able to hold a higher frequency more light and love it's said most people on planet earth well almost all people are only have five strains of their dna activated and there's some beings on this earth plane right now that have activated seven strains well we have 12 strains of dna you know they say we only use 10 percent of the mind all of these things is unknown of our power of how much potential we actually have so when you're dunking yourself in the water again and again you're becoming more of a crystalline being this idea of not needing so much food this or that because your energy is flowing it's not so dense and the kundalini yoga is so powerful because in three minutes of doing fists of anger we completely shift our electromagnetic field and clear up our, our halo which is our well, how we attract and manifest and unfortunately, this world is not all peace and love and roses and, you know, joy. It's said of all of the galaxies and made up in the universe and the universe is universe and da-da-da-da-da. That planet Earth is said to be the most dense realm, the most challenging plane to exist on. And so, we must have a practice. We must surrender to something greater than ourselves to protect us, to guide us through, to elevate ourselves. Sometimes it looks like we have to go through doing 23 hours straight of the job chi to renew ourselves. I literally have been reborn. Just finding your practice and what calls you so strongly that you're willing to do that. So you can walk in the will of God.
how, how does that experience for you ser serve as more than just a peak moment? How are you carrying that with you? Well, if I can do that, I sure can function here in America, huh? It, <laughs> let's let go of any fear and judgment of anything. If I can, you know, completely let go of the judgment of what these people may think or worrying about butting in line or all of this stuff or being with all that energy that was coming at me, then if I can't be successful here, then... <laughs> you know, like, if I can't carry myself as me here now, like, which I totally can, it's, um, there's, it's amazing how I feel, the freedom that I feel here now. You know, in America, we have so much more than they have, and we have so much stuff, we have all of these things, but I realize that it's leading us nowhere. Mm. And if you can have that strength, that connection with the soul to bring you through that challenge, then you will be able to succeed here, anywhere. Going through the streets of India, and although people have the most utmost respect and reverence for us, they're still trying to get the dollars and come to my shop or here or there, take this ride or this or that, and you say, and thank you, and you bow, and you continue onward. Not being distracted, staying on your mission, being grounded like a double-edged sword, navel to third eye, grounding in to rise up. Why did it take you longer than the other women? Women are powerful. <laughs> It said that women have six tracks of the mind, man only has one. It just did. They're strong. They are. What slowed you down? Was it, were you waiting in line? Um, when I would get this, you know, I read just whatever it may have been, I would stop often to like bow to people and then come back to reading. There was times where I was like literally falling asleep reading this, like drifting off and be like, whoa, I don't even know where I just was reading and had to start up again. Um, I'm not the fastest reader. I'm a little bit dyslexic. It's in English. No. Well, it's written in English, but the translation in Gurumukhi, which is incredibly difficult to read. Had you read it before that experience? <laughs> well, this is where I'm kind of funny. You know, since I've gone through the teacher training, level one about two years ago um, I listened to the Japji almost 24 hours a day I like to feel to feel the sound current and I've always wanted to memorize it without ever reading it and so I've only picked it up and read it a couple times so I went in pretty blind but that's okay I think to go on with no expectations is fine I went in the way I had to go in so Reading it through and through like that for the first time ever, yeah. How long is it? It's like a page? No, it takes about 20 minutes to read once. To read once? Yeah, that's what I was... And as it... Uh-huh. 
so this first line is like what I was reading. It's translated in English from there, but the first couple lines is how the whole thing was transcribed. So this is the translated in English. This is the whole thing. So from page 19 all the way to 49, 39 pages, 30 pages, sorry, um, which takes about 20 minutes to read for me. So 84 times 20 minutes, 23 hours or so. And I went to go back. <laughs> if you want to come, let me know. <laughs> There's nothing else I really want to continue on with this conversation. I want to end on that. Me too. Degavtar, thank you for taking the time, and uh, I hope this reaches many people. These are powerful stories, powerful experiences. What a life! Thank you for the opportunity, my brother. Keep up the good work. you conquer the mind or else the mind will conquer you <laughs>